the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Worldview Media Podcast. <laughs> Very good. So I'm here with my lovely and talented wife, Joyce. Hello. hello. Hello, hello. And we're mixing it up. Uh, yeah, we're doing it a little bit different. I'm just here with Joyce and a bottle of extremely cheap Canadian whiskey. Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole bottle. <laughs> I don't know. You're talking I've kind of crazy. I've already drank part of it. <laughs> no, one glass mixed with a lot of soda to cover the taste. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> but we digress. Canadian whiskey. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, we've got a different kind of podcast we're going to do today. We can give it a try. We're going to talk about two different books or uh, book franchises in your case. Now, before we start, though, we need to make clear that, Joyce, you are basically a nerd. <laughs> what? <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> well, it's just... Life? It's just true. <laughs> you uh, you love all things Star Trek, right? Most things Star Trek. Oh, what things Star Trek do you not there love? There are some bad things Star Trek. Oh, I well, every Star Trek fan admits <laughs> that there's some bad Star Trek. You love the, the Firefly series? That was quality. You're generally a fan of science fiction, right? Usually. Yeah. You're not big on Star Wars, though, are you? Uh, I can take it or leave it. Okay. But you're a big uh, superhero fan as well? Well, of the who movies. in their right, right mind would not be? And you're smart <laughs> enough to be a Marvel and not a not so much a DC fan. <laughs> but, I, you know, I can still watch DC. It's probably not my favorite. I think it's, it's probably a little bit more dark than what I usually yeah, prefer. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, I guess that's not really fair, because you like watching Gotham and Arrow and Flash. Yeah. But, you know, those are all television. Yeah, right. So it's not right. quite the same. Gotham's pretty dark, though. Yeah, but you like that one more than <laughs> I like Gotham. <laughs> I watch that to appease you. <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, marriage is all about concessions. Yes. Meeting in the middle. Okay, uh, but I am a bigger Marvel fan, probably. You're probably more knowledgeable with backstories, so then, who, my dear, is... <laughs> <laughs> is what? <laughs> a nerd? Oh, you're going to bring up the fact that I used to play Dungeons and Dragons and... Uh, well, I wasn't going to go there, but here we are. <laughs> And Champions, the superhero role-playing game. Yeah, I've... I've Dabbled in all that? Wasted a lifetime on those things. Okay, so we get that established that you're basically a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you really enjoy reading fiction books quite a bit, right? Yeah, and I do. You, I read a good amount of fiction. You somehow find your way to these uh, fantasy series. You read quite a few different series. I try to keep current with what's coming out, some of the new things that are being released. Okay. And, and I really tend to stay in youth fiction. You like youth fiction. Yes. And that's a purposeful choice for me because it tends to not have language issues. <laughs> and it sex issues. It tends to not have right. sexual issues. It tends not to have right. a lot of the things that you'll find in adult Oh, right. Uh, adult, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> quotation marks, sometimes it's just too adult. <laughs> so it, it tends to be free of a lot of the extraneous crud that can go on <laughs> right. in uh, lots of... Can you think offhand of some of the names of these other series that you liked? There was something about Broken Glass, or what um, was that? No, I was doing... It's the... It was an Angel series, and... Uh, I've... It's been a while since I've read them. But it, it was a popular one. They started doing... Um, they did do a movie on it. They did uh, was a like television a TV series. series. Yeah, and I don't know if that's been renewed or not, but yeah. I saw a couple of those episodes, and it was kind of me, and I thought, you know, I'll just read the book, because the book is always better. <laughs> and it was about um, angels, angels... coming to yeah. fight demons. Yeah. Or people with angel blood in them, and... You all may know those series and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's this one, and it's just not on my... And was my there also something like a City of Ashes? Is that the yeah, same City thing? Yeah, City of Ashes, City of Bones, City of Glass. Um, there's several in that, and um, there's a character, Bane, in there. And that one eh, maybe went a little far on some of the other things. Okay, uh, so, but we're here to talk about... A the latest series. Yeah, the latest one that I've you've been reading. Been reading is um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Un for Peculiar Children, and there is a movie coming out about that, I believe, in November. Okay, so pretty soon. Yes, pretty soon. All right, and I know this is popular too. I kind of see it because of the job I have, and I see it around and mm -hmm. see. Obviously, people are talking about it. So, Miss Peregrine's Home for Unusual Children. So, give us an overview of what's going on there. Uh, well, the book starts off looking really boring and kind of plain and well, that's slow. that's horrible. Really? It does, but it's it's because of the character in there. It's about this young kid and uh, how, you know, he doesn't really have any friends. His family has money, but he doesn't really fit in anywhere. And he just sees his life being this long thing to endure, <laughs> having to work for the family business, having to do all of these things that are expected of him. When you say he's young, he's like teenager, right? Yeah. 16. Yeah, he's a teen. Okay. So um, he's kind of got one friend that's really more for protection than a real friendship. I think they're probably different intellectually. And the one odd thing about him is his grandfather, who has always told him these stories these fantastical stories of people who could do amazing things and his travels and, you know, he just, he fell for a hook, line, and sinker as a kid and, you know, he lived to hear his grandpa tell him these stories. And, of course, as he got older, he just said, well, you know, there's no way this can be true. <laughs> Someone's been feeding me a load all my <laughs> life and, um, you know, just realize realizes that his his future is 
even though he's he's really well set off, he seems a kind of bleak and, and in a dismal future ahead of him. Until. <laughs> okay, so something tragic happens. Yeah. His grandfather dies. His grandfather dies. He's there when that happens, and he sees some things that kind of freak him out. He's like, what is this that I'm seeing? This can't be real. He sees stuff that nobody else can see. Is yes, that right? he sees stuff that... Monsters. He monsters. sees monsters. And a monster kills his grandfather? Is that what happens? That's what we are led to believe. Something... Okay very terrible happened to his grandfather and he's there when he dies and like I say he looks up and he sees these monsters and his grandfather tells him some kind of weird things you a know cryptic last yeah. message go look here for this and that and you know he's just like okay my grandpa's delirious I'm insane <laughs> and my world which I thought was bad has suddenly gotten worse okay now that sets him off on a kind of a detective mission to find out what sort was of. going on and i think as they go through you know clearing out the home where his grandfather lived they come across some things and um one thing that's kind of unusual about the book is that the gentleman who wrote who wrote them uses um old pictures that are kind of odd looking you know it yeah. looks like children are floating <laughs> or you know it's a dog dressed up like a person with a pipe or you know there's all sorts of odd pictures that he's included in his book that are apparently real photographs that he's gotten a hold of and he's included and the stories kind of have to do with those pictures too and this is who this person is and and so um he runs across the little box with all these pictures in there and he's going to see a psychiatrist who's trying to help him and uh let me ask you this you you mentioned that he includes pictures in the within the pages of the novel Mm -hmm. Would the novel be as good without the pictures, or do the pictures do something in terms of setting a scene or just kind of adding a creepy feel? Would it be the same without those pictures, or what? I think the pictures add a component because, of course, when you describe something in words, sometimes you don't quite hit the right mark with it. And so a lot of the things he describes, you turn the page and, well, here's the picture of that. And so it just kind of uh, clarifies it in your mind and solidifies it a little bit more. Yeah, I think I did. um, You and Reagan were reading the first book at the same time, right? Yes. And uh, I flipped through one of your copies and saw those pictures. Mm -hmm. And I could see the kind of ambiance that I think they were trying to create with those. But what I'm wondering is... Is that a neat thing added on, or is it a shortcut? You know, uh, instead of having to be really good at describing and setting a scene, can they just put a creepy picture in there and suddenly you've well, got it? Well, I think it, or... it kind of served a twofold purpose in that you could see what he was talking about, and then to kind of maybe establish a, a little bit more that this is a real thing because they are real pictures. Yeah. And so this is a, a society of sorts of people with very unusual abilities and talents that have kind of hidden themselves in right. our community right. and um, because of different things have kind of become extinct in right. some sense. So if you go to if you were to go to the orphanage where they all were, you wouldn't find them. It would look it's in ruins and abandoned. Or... <laughs> well, 
the thing with the books is that all of these children are hidden within loops, and they're time loops. Time loops. So, so you're not just going to run into them. No, you have to find the right entrance into the loop, and supposedly only people with peculiar blood in them can get through. So it's kind of some safeguard features built in to that. Okay, well then a question comes to my mind. Is this set in modern day? The beginning is. <laughs> oh, right, because they got the whole time thing yes, going on. Yes, because they got the time loop. The so pictures are very old. Yes. Okay, so probably from a lot from the 19th century, some yeah, of those pictures. I would think so. Okay, so the question that I have in my mind then is, can you pinpoint where the source of these peculiarities come from in these kids? Is it an evolutionary thing? or? It seems to me as probably a little bit more random, you know, because the grandfather had this ability, the children, his mom and dad didn't, but yet he does. And so it just seems it kind of shows up here and there. And uh, I think in one of the, I think in the second book where I was reading, these kids just turned out with these abilities and, you know, their, their parents were like, I don't know what to do with you. Well, is the speculation that these are like recessive genetic traits that I would think pop up or yeah. something? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Xavier's school. In a right, sense. I was just going to yeah. ask, is, is this, is it the same kind of concept as like X-Men or something? It's similar, but I think their abilities are a little bit more... They're weird. Yeah. Yeah. One guy, what, carries bees in his yeah. stomach or... Yeah. 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 And, uh, <laughs> one and, girl's uh, extremely strong. And one girl's got like a mouth with fangs on the back of her yeah, head. Or she has something. two mouths. There's another one that can float. And I think that's on the picture of one of the books where you see a, a girl that's kind of levitating. So she has to wear the really heavy shoes. And if you've seen the trailers on TV, you know, it's... Okay, so now there are monsters that are the bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. That are trying to kill the peculiar children. They are after the time, the loop keepers and oh. those are special ladies no. that can turn into birds oh, okay and miss peregrine is one of them yes okay. and most of those women have bird names okay You'll so find that out what are the stakes that are involved here i mean they get hold of these time loop things then what can they rule the world or what's what's going on there well apparently there was a break between the people in the time loops the keepers of that some people said we just need to overrun the world and take it over and uh, get rid of humans and, and just have us here because obviously we're better people. Again, kind of similar to uh, X-Men. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. And so I saw a lot of similarities in that just because... Is Miss Peregrine kind of a Professor X kinda. kind of character? Yeah. I mean, she goes out and she finds these kids and brings them back to her time loop. So would it be fair to say it's it's a kind of does it well would you say that that it's a knockoff kind of uh, thing or there's enough differences that I think it it's it's valid on its own okay, but well, there are some similarities. What's your prediction about the movie? Do you think that it's people are gonna see it as a just kind of a spin-off of a superhero sort of thing or what? I don't think so, because the the time setting is different, and you've got 
some time issues in there as well. And most of our superheroes, of course, they're all like current day type of yeah, things. And uh, these these aren't set in that okay that kind of situation. Well, remember that old horrible movie from a few years <laughs> back, that uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yeah. Is it kind of in that class, you think? Steampunk era sort of stuff or not? No? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. All right. Well, what's your, if you had to, I'm putting you on the spot here, <laughs> but if, if X-Men is very evolutionary mm-hmm. in its thinking, and evolution is the thing, and and as far as when we start talking about sovereignty and, and law-giving and law-keeping, uh, X-Men kind of dissolves into whoever is powerful mm-hmm. enough and gets to make the rules. Yeah. Do you see that in that series, or is there some different? Um, I do, but I don't see it from from the good side. I see it from the people that are trying to go in and alter things and change yeah. stuff. What do the good guys want to see happen? Well, instead? they just you know they want to be left alone in their time loops. Okay, so just being left alone is kind of the ideal. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think for them, they're there because they didn't fit in. You know, there was they're supposedly more like the sideshow people and the carnival okay. from a long time back when right, that right. was very popular and anybody unusual could have a job like that. Right, right. Okay. And how would you rate it just in terms of writing ability and stuff like that? Is is it a, is it well written or? Yeah, and it's easy to read. It's not uh, over overly challenging. What would you say the overall message is to the young adults that are reading that series? People with differences aren't necessarily bad, maybe. Okay. But you still have to kind of... Because of the, the time loops and the traveling, you know, they wind up going back to when it's World War Two. Yeah. And the Nazis. And the Nazis aren't just the Nazis, they're actually... Monsters. Yeah. And so, some of the correlations in in with that, I think, is interesting, that they're not just Nazis, they're monsters. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. You know, that's, that's not a bad theme. That theme all by itself is not bad, because... In the Bible, we see Jesus kind of reaching out to the outcasts and the misfits and, mm-hmm. and uh, the people who are not powerful. But but in our day, that theme is often used to justify aberrant behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just different, but it's aberrant. And, yeah, which means to be abhorred. <laughs> <laughs> well, but. You know, we uh, we can't say anything's wrong anymore. Uh, right, right. You know, that would just, be judgmental. Yeah. Yeah, right. Which is just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so give it a letter grade, the series, so far as you've read it. You've read the first two books. What do you feel like? Uh, I'd probably give it a high B. Okay. Yeah. And when I finished the first book, I thought... Oh, this would make a pretty good series. And then, <laughs> and then there's more. And then Reagan said, well, it is. <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, very good. Uh, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and 
it'll be my turn to talk about a book that I was affected by. We'll be right back. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. My bottle of whiskey is... Oh, no, my glass of whiskey. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Partially drained. Uh, So here we are, and you were thinking you remembered the name of the book series where the angels come to fight the demons. It might be City of Angels. City of Angels. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I should have checked. Sorry. (laughs) No, I just... I didn't even tell you I was going to ask you about that. All right. So... No, it's my turn to talk about a book that affected me a lot. Uh, I wasn't raised really as a Christian. I was saved when I was in my early 20s and uh, spent most of my childhood believing that I wanted to become a novelist Mm -hmm. when I grew up. That's what I wanted to do for my full-time job. You actually wrote a novel as a teenager, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Let's not speak of that novel. (laughs) No, I actually did. Between my ninth and 10th grade year in high school, I sat at an electric typewriter Mm -hmm. and typed out a novel that was about 300 pages, close to that. Kind of substantial for the age. Oh, right. <laughs> Any age. <laughs> Not bad for a 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, it's it's worthless and horrible and all that. But uh, anyway, that's what I <laughs> that's what I honestly believed I wanted to do. And uh, if you had asked me what book I loved the most, it would have probably been. Stephen King's Salem's Lot, but, Mm. (laughs) and I had a love-hate relationship with that, we talk about that in an upcoming podcast, I believe, but uh, the other book that I would have listed, I, I tried to find it on Amazon, it's out of print now, but if you can get a hold of it, if you are a if you are a prospective writer, you want to write novels, you want to write good stories, I'd highly recommend you try to get a hold of this book. It's by an author named Dean Kuntz, K-O-O-N-T-Z. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book called How to Write Best-Selling Fiction. And 
I practically slept with that book under my pillow for <laughs> a long time. I don't know. I couldn't even tell you how many times I reread that book over and over and trying to soak everything in. Mm-hmm. So lots of good information in there. Yeah, maybe the value in it was how it inspired me. You know, I really, I did a lot of writing as a result of reading that book. And mm-hmm. uh, some of our listeners may not know, but in 1999, I had a novel published by a little publishing house owned by a good Presbyterian man and the book is titled Prowl Mm -hmm. and it's out of print actually right now. If you're interested in this book, you can get a hold of me on Facebook. It is a good book. Oh, you're married to me. You have to say that. No, because when we first read the ending, we didn't like it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And we said that as well. (laughs) Your criticisms were honest. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, uh, so I had this book published in 2000, well, yeah, about 1999, 2000, I forget the actual year, mm-hmm. but this book is a military action and adventure mm-hmm. that kind of capitalizes on my experience in the United States Navy yep, submarine, submarine fleet, mm-hmm. and it's got Christian Romance, content yeah. and and. Well, I don't know about romance. A little. Long-distance romance. Well, that is life sometimes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and definitely Christian content. And I wrote the book as a self-conscious yeah. Christian reconstructionist. And uh, I'm not sure there are many novels like that. And so that kind of makes it unique. And then, a few years ago, published another novel... It's a, like you were just talking about, it's a young adult fantasy action adventure. And it's called The Groaning Man, and you can find that on Mm Amazon.com. And what I tried to do with this is kind of mesh two genres. Uh, I would say this, The Groaning Man is probably 70-30 mix between... uh, like a western and <laughs> like a Dungeons and Dragons type of fantasy setting. So it was meant to be book one in a trilogy called uh, Dungeons and Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And so the second book is not going to come out anytime soon. But I, <laughs> is waiting. <laughs> I do have the outline in my mind. But anyway, I just, the only reason I mentioned that, I don't mean that to be commercials or anything, just that. This book by Dean Koontz really did influence me, and it really did inspire me. And I just wanted to talk about some things in it that I thought were helpful, that hopefully would help aspiring writers who might happen to listen to the podcast. Because we do talk about how to tell stories. Yeah. Well, and that really is an art. Sure. It's an art form. And if you've had to listen to people tell stories, <laughs> right. you know the ones who can do it well and the ones who get information across. So Yeah, right, right. And I have a theory that part of being created in the image of God is a love of stories and the ability yeah. to tell good stories. I think it's pretty obvious to me that God loves stories. You know, he, he packed so many stories into the Bible. Mm-hmm. He could have just given us a list of commandments and 
and doctrines, mm -hmm. but most of the Bible is stories, you know. And yeah, and it's details. You know, it's yeah, not just right. vague, gory details yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah but which we will talk about in an upcoming podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, I just wanted to mention a couple of high points and the things that have stuck with me and things that I tried to implement in my own writing. And as he was talking about plot, uh, Dean Kuntz made a point that I think is even more applicable now than it was when I was reading this book back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And that point was you really, really, really have to grab the reader as fast as you can. Yeah. Now, as you were just talking about this Miss Peregrine book, <laughs> you said something reading? that shocked me, yeah. that it starts out slow. And to me, I just consider that to be like the death knell for a book that you're actually hoping people will enjoy and, yeah. and read. Uh, so that's kind of surprising to me. Well, it was just all very ordinary. You know, there was nothing that made you think, hmm, you know. And there's no sense of danger. Or not immediately, I'd yeah. say. No, not really. Yeah, see, uh, I think Dean Koontz would say, no, you can't do that. and Or that that's not wise his his theory was that if you if you see people going into a bookstore and they're going down the aisles like at Barnes and Noble or something and they're picking paperbacks off the shelf he said there are so many of these things that you're competing with mm -hmm. that it all has to be perfect when they pick that book up the artwork has to be great mm -hmm. and you're a novelist you're writing a story yeah. but that's just the economics of the situation. I know for people who want to be purists and artists <laughs> and stuff like that, you wish that wasn't the case. But the outside of the book really does, you know, people know they're not supposed to judge a book by the cover, but they do all the time. Yeah. I'll admit, I've gone to bookstores and was just looking for something to read. And I picked a book that I didn't know the author, and I didn't, I'd never no, heard anything about, about the book, but yeah. the artwork was really cool, and I liked the summary on the back cover. Yeah. And that's why I bought it. But did you like the book? Uh, no, it was not very good. <laughs> uh, judging a book by the cover. <laughs> I, still, I still do remember it, though. Yeah. Um, uh, but, so his point was that you really don't have much of a shot with the book buyer as hard as it is to get a book published and yeah. then as hard as it is to get your published book on actual bookstore shelves mm -hmm. it's even harder to get anybody to buy it you know? well especially today with all of the yeah. electronic there's media so much competition and, yeah yeah and so his point was there's no sense whining about it or complaining about it but the truth is that you don't, you just don't have any time to waste. Yeah, to sit around thinking, well, I'll hook the reader later. Mm -hmm. And so his actual advice was you maybe, if the reader's being very generous with you, maybe they'll read the first page of your book and see. <laughs> Yeah. And and he said, you have to hook them in that first page. If you're being smart, you yeah. better hook them in that first page. Well, you page. know, 
just as an example, I think most people that have read your book, Prowl, say, you know, I got after the first page and I just had to keep going. Right. And keep going right. and keep going and keep going. So, you know, I think you took that lesson to heart. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I did in The Groaning Man, too, in, yeah. in, in the sense of, uh, in The Groaning Man, I knew I was having to transport teenagers from this world to the fantasy world that I was thinking about. And that was going to, you know, you, you have to write fast. that. Yeah. You have to make that happen. And I knew there's going to be this explaining and having to do that. But I knew, and I better, there better be a sense of danger and foreboding and yeah. something's not right here. And that, that needs to start right at the very beginning. And I think I did that where yeah. in the first page stuff blows up and, and starts going crazy yeah you know and, and your characters are really funny too so oh well thank you yeah yeah actually uh just an interesting note about that book the groaning man is that i wrote that really for you and and our middle daughter jordan mm -hmm. because you were fans of like harry potter and yeah and all these other young adult fantasy books and yeah <laughs> and i just started writing a chapter at a time thinking what would joyce and jordan like to see what would tickle them and what would yeah. what would they think was exciting and fun here and and then boom it was a book yeah just one right so far <laughs> just one it is a trilogy just to remind yeah. you yeah but see my uh, uh I really think Dean Koontz is right. My advice is I think you need to you need to craft a sentence a beginning sentence mm -hmm. that is provocative or evocative or grabbing or mm -hmm. interesting or just kind of weird to say hmm, what's going on here right keep and going. you got to get them in the, I really think you've got maybe a paragraph if you can get them in that one sentence that's so much better. Yeah. And I think you notice that with a lot of movies these days they try not to spend too much time a lot of time setting up here's all the background and Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the To Kill a Mockingbird that we did where it was just like very slow, so slow. Right. Right. painfully slow. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I, you know, I, it's been a long time, but I read Nathaniel Hawthorne's The House of Seven Gables, and in the introduction to that book, I still remember a scene that he laid out in the first few pages of like a Victorian era feast. Mm -hmm. And yet, even as he's describing this feast in ways that made it seem sumptuous and, and very rich and decadent, Mm -hmm. It was creepy, and I don't, I don't know how he did it. You know, <laughs> so as he's laying out this feast, mm -hmm. it just, it, it's the kind of thing that you read it and and you're thinking, well, that sounds like good food, but that ain't right. There's something, <laughs> you know, eat that. <laughs> there's something dark and foreboding yeah. going on. And to me, that was just a really neat thing. Stephen King. I'm going back to Stephen King, but. In Salem's Lot, the first scene is uh, a man and a boy, obviously, kind of on the run. Mm -hmm. And it's not really said what they're running from, but... Uh, Can't be anything good. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
you find out later it was obviously vampires and yeah <laughs> anyway i just think that Stephen or uh dean Koontz made that point really really well and today in today's market wow if you publish something on amazon for like the kindle for instance mm-hmm. they give 10 percent of they give the first 10 percent of the book as a free sample mm-hmm. and that's great but i'm i'm betting you that most people don't download that free sample but if they give you that man you need to make sure that first 10 percent makes them want to read more you've got them you yeah. know I even wrote that into the description of my... I think I wrote that into the description at Amazon.com of The Groaning Man that here's my challenge. Download the free sample, and if you don't want it, fine. But I mean, here's my bet. You're going to want to read it. You read yeah. that first first 10%, and I defy you not to buy the book after that. Of course, everybody's apparently said, okay, I won't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other problem with uh, the Kindle books on Amazon is that there's just so much to have to sort through. Sure, right. That it gets overwhelming to to look at. And, How do you even get yeah. people to read read the product page? Yeah. And, yeah, right. Okay, so I wanted to mention that. I think you need to hook readers as soon as possible. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is that Dean Koontz mentioned in terms of plot, mm-hmm. one of the pieces of, of advice that I thought was really good is that the first thing that needs to happen to your hero is that he needs to encounter some kind of quote-unquote terrible trouble. Mm-hmm. And that if you don't start your book with the hero being confronted with terrible trouble, your book is in trouble. You know? <laughs> so, like, how soon into the book should first thing you know right away you introduce your character and maybe and while trouble. you're introducing your character he's he or she stands to lose something extremely valuable mm-hmm. to him i remember dean Koontz pointed out the book uh kramer versus kramer which was a movie in the 80s about and that you know it wasn't an action adventure or anything it was about a couple getting divorced yeah and uh but the terrible trouble came very early on when the guy got served divorce papers and his terrible trouble, the threat was that he's going to have his child taken away from him and and maybe never get to raise his son like he wants to and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so it doesn't have to be you've got vampires Monsters, coming yeah. after you or, or something like that, but... or you know, the end of the world is in sight and, and only your hero can save the day, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it does need to be something valuable. So, this Dean Koontz, yeah. what did he write besides this book? He wrote. He actually wrote <laughs> a lot of novels. Uh, one that I thought was really good was uh, Whispers. That's the one I'd recommend people look up is Whispers. Mm-hmm. And... And or just look for his name, Dean Koontz at Amazon. He's got quite a few books, and so he also really did write. Fiction oh yeah, as well. and very successfully too. For some reason, not I don't remember a lot of his books being made into movies or anything like that. But the man made a ton of money. He really did know how to write best-selling fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I think the terrible trouble thing is a really good idea. And then the next step is in plotting that your character 
takes his or her first step toward trying to address that terrible trouble. Mm -hmm. And that just makes it worse. <laughs> and, and so oh. Dean Koontz is talking about this ladder that just keeps heading down and down yeah. and down. And that as the plot progresses, the, your character's trying to address the problem. but mm, Just digging a deeper hole. Yeah, it's just digging a hole. You'll never get out of that. <laughs> right. So you got to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right. And until you get to the stage of final conflict and and now you're in the deepest hole. And you said really the best plot is going to be one where the reader gets to just about the end of the book and thinks that it really is helpless and hopeless and mm -hmm. there's no way out. But then you have to have a solution. And the the hero is going to find this solution or realize it right at the end and kaboom it's the one thing that we were looking for to Changes fix it, it all and, yeah. and resolve it the danger there of course is that you come up with a solution that too, nobody could have seen yeah. coming which if i had a too criticism right if i had a criticism of jk rowling's books the harry potter series she did a lot of that. Sometimes. Where she yeah. would kind of write her characters into a corner. Then, ta -da! But and it's magic. It, <laughs> right. <laughs> and Harry and his friends would, or Harry, would come up with something at the end, or something would happen. And Yeah, I think probably the last, the last book was a little bit more riddled with some of those issues than right. some of the others. Right. The Goblet of Fire for me was that. But anyway... That's, That's the thing. danger, <laughs> yeah. right? That's the danger of it. And so I I think that's really important, and it really does make for a good story. And the way to think about the plotting, where you, where you see it most is in, like, mystery stories, mm -hmm. uh, like cop shows or something, where yeah. the first scene is that, bam, here's a dead body, and there's some kind of unusual circumstance, and... Yeah. You know, here's the body we found in an alley, but it looks like it fell from the sky or something yeah. like that. And what could have made this happen? And, and then at the end, when it looks like the bad guy's just about to get away, well, the detective has pieced it all together while nobody was watching. And, and if the solution is really good, it's going to be of the sort where, as the detective is explaining, you know, I've gathered you all in this room so that I can <laughs> yeah. unmask the killer. While he's explaining that, then the reader is going, oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember what he's talking. Oh, that's what that meant. Yeah. You know, and so as he's putting it all together, the reader is thinking, well, of course. What else could it have that been? That makes total sense. You yeah. know, and, and so to use that pattern in non-mystery story things where, you know, you, you do find that final solution and it's satisfying that way. The only other thing that I wanted to mention, and, and again, I think it's more true now than when Kuntz wrote about it 30 years ago. His advice was that the reader just wants to get on with it. And so you shouldn't spend a bunch of time describing the sunset and how the ice cream tasted and stuff like that. <laughs> and the reader just kind of wants to get on with it. And what he mentioned is that action sequences are golden opportunities to secure the reader's attention. That, you know, when the vampire is chasing the hero through the cemetery, 
that's going to be a hard time for the reader to set the book down and go on to something else. You Unless know? it gets a little too intense. And then right, they if they're that. just scared. <laughs> right, right. And so his point was that beginning writers often make the mistake because these action sequences are often kind of challenging and mm -hmm. hard to write. Yeah. They make the mistake of kind of zipping through them and resolving them very quickly. Mm -hmm. And his advice was don't be easy on your hero in the middle of an action sequence. Make it hard on your hero. And that's going to make it more enjoyable to read. And Well, and I think it makes you connect with that um, character a little bit more, too, because you're like, oh, come on, you can do this. <laughs> right, right. Don't give up. you got to make it out of here. And, right. and so you... Uh, and that's really what you want your readers to do. You want them to relate to your characters and have them become special people to them and not just eh, somebody in a right. book I don't really care about. And I think that was another piece of Kuntz's advice that I consciously wrote into the books that I've got published now is that idea that you get into an action sequence and strap in because you're about to, <laughs> it's, it's about ride. to be a ride, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing that I did with the groaning man is I, <laughs> I don't know if this sounds conceited or what, but I envisioned the action sequence as if I was watching it on a, in a movie mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be something that nobody had seen before, yeah. you know, and so I'm coming up with scenes that are just kind of weird and, and, uh, Unusual. just different yeah. in an effort to just make it more fun because hey this is weird i've never i've never seen people fight like this or whatever yeah and and those scenes last for a long time you know <laughs> and and that's on purpose yeah just to keep the reader involved and and that's a lot of fun and, and all that so i just wanted to share those tips and and the book Kuntz's how to write best-selling fiction i think it's worth it for you to get a hold of it if you're... Well, it sounds like it's been very influential for you and, and really does have a lot of good information in there. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I'm sure my implementation of all that stuff has been far less than perfect, but because I have not written best-selling fiction. <laughs> well, that's not been your job. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think the things that you have written have been really, uh, really good, you know. You just say that because you're married to me, though. No, I say lots of things because I'm married to you. <laughs> Not all of them good. <laughs> I <Yeah>. am honest. <laughs> you're right, right. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> all right. Well, folks out there in podcast land, I guess we're about done. Uh, I know it's kind of a different... Uh, sort of thing for us, but this is the Worldview Media podcast and not just the Worldview Movie podcast. Yeah. And we do want to we do want to make sure that on top of being able to discern what worldviews are being preached to us, we really want to train people how to do that and how to yeah. how to be good storytellers and worldview preachers. And so I encourage you, storytellers out there. And get right and get after it. <laughs> the only way to get better at your craft is to practice it and yeah. keep doing it. All right, so until next time, go out and take dominion in the area of creative arts. It all belongs to the Lord. That's right. Let's, uh, let's not be satisfied with letting the devil have all the good stories. 
All right. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks.